Uh, first of all, thank you and welcome. Uh, if this is your first time here, we also want to welcome you for sure. This is an awesome place. My name is Tito, hailing from Mile City Church, a little south of here, and we've been such great friends with the Prisks. They're amazing. You guys are blessed to have them, and so I'm so grateful to, uh, that you would have me as well. We're at the end of our series at the lake, uh, which is just a series where we have noticed that some pretty epic things happen in the Bible and the scriptures around a lake of some sort. And so we're going to dive into this. I'm going to kind of jump right into scripture. So in a moment, I'm going to be diving into Matthew chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn them on, you can pull them out. Uh, but let me just pray and get us started. Father, we just thank you so much. We are at, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. Father, there are just moments where I know that even myself, I just have really good faith. And then there are just moments where I struggle in my faith. And so, Father, I just pray uh, that you would help us recognize those inconsistencies sometimes in our life and, and what your word talks about it. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to be jumping right into scripture, and, and here's where we're at. Jesus, who uh, many are skeptical about, many proclaim is the savior of all, and he's kind of going through his ministry. He's kind of wandering the countryside with his squad, with his 12 guys, and he's doing pretty incredible things. He's healing, he's doing miracles, he's kind of controversial in a lot of ways, and, and at some point, he gets pretty popular. He's got like rock star status sometimes when he comes into an area and so many people are there and every time he tries to retreat often he will retreat only to find himself surrounded by some more people and and so we we find him at this place where, where he wanted to rest and as he was about to rest all of these people came and as as jesus is so many times he finds compassion on them and goes out of his way to love them but at the end of that that time he he he, we catch up to him in, in the story where he's kind of ready to just to be alone for a moment. And so let's see, let's see what it says. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat. I love the word that he made them get into a boat um, and go ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, and after he, uh, he had dismissed them, he went up on to a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, which is exactly what he was trying to do. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So big windstorms going on, the boat's way out in the water. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. What? All right, let's keep going. And so, so we see Jesus kind of walking on, on this water kind of experience. And, and then we kind of, you know, epically see what happens when the disciples see him. We'll keep reading. Come, or, or just before that, just before that slide. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out of fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. So Peter, one of his closest guys out of his 12, this was like one of his main men. This is like Jesus' BFF is cool. And so he says, Lord, if, you, if it's you, Peter replied, then tell me to come to you on the water, which I've always thought that was the weirdest way to prove that he was Jesus. Jesus, if it's you, um, uh, tell me to come to you. That's a weird thing. I'd have been like, Jesus, if it's you, Spell your name in the sky. I don't know, like something, right? 
And so Jesus responds, he says, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, when Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And so we continue reading. He says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is a pretty epic story at a lake. In many ways, very hard to believe until you understand who the God that we serve is, how big and epic God is. And, and I think there's many things that, and many of us might have even heard the story before. I just wanted to make sure I read it all the way through so any of us who, any of us who didn't hear it knew exactly what happened in the story. But, but there's this, this, this epic thing that happens when Jesus is walking across the water, they're terrified at first, and then someone, Peter with his boldness, is, is like, okay, Jesus, if that's you, man, command me to come out to that water. And Jesus, you could just see him go, all right, come on. You know, and so he comes, jumps out the boat, starts walking, and in that moment, the epic faith that Peter displayed was unbelievable. We would love to have that kind of faith. I know I would love to have that kind of faith. I don't relate with him that well in that moment, to have that step out of the boat moment of faith. But then a wind happens, and his faith becomes fear. Now that I relate with. That I relate with. How many times have I tried to step out in faith only to be consumed with fear? And his faith fails him in that moment. And so, because I relate so well with Peter in this moment of times that I have tried to do something, and I feel like God's called me to do something, but I have begun to, my faith has begun to fail, I just wanted to talk about, at least for me, three reasons in my life that my faith has failed. And maybe you guys can relate. The first is um, current distraction. And, I, and yes, I'm talking about distractions in our lives right now, but I'm not talking about Netflix. Although, I can watch Netflix with the best of them, okay? I'm a, I'm a professional binger at times. And so, there's something about Netflix that is a distraction, but that's not the kind of distraction that necessarily is the kind of distraction that pushes me away from my faith. When I think about distraction, I think about when, when uh, in the story when it says, but when he saw that the wind... When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. As soon, as soon as he was looking at Jesus, he had his eyes on Jesus, he was walking. You can imagine him, maybe not necessarily like, yeah, I got this, right? That's not necessarily how he was doing it, but, but you can imagine him looking at Jesus like, okay, you've got this, right? And then a huge wind comes along, and the wave starts coming over. And at that moment, he looks over, and it was the fear of that moment that all of a sudden he began to sink. It's when Jesus took, uh, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus. I relate with that. I've had times in my life where I feel like I'm going right toward Jesus. Then all of a sudden, I take my eyes off of him because I'm so distracted. And, and I think about distractions in maybe any of our lives. The loss of a job can be very distracting trying to write resume after resume and not to receive word can just be distracting and take our eyes off Jesus. Or even an impending college 
I don't know what this is going to be like. I, which college do I choose? Or I'm going to start college. What does that look like? Or, or maybe for you, it's a struggling relationship of some sort. Is it a marriage? Is it a boyfriend, a girlfriend? Is it a, a relationship in your family or a friend that's just struggling and it's just distracting? It's all that you can think about. It's all the drama in your life. Or maybe are these relationships, or, or maybe you're struggling because you so desire to have a child and it just doesn't seem to be working. It might even be issues in your marriage when you keep going home and there's constantly tension. And it's so, it's so right now in the present that it's distracting. And it's all you can do to just figure out what to do with this situation in your own home. So maybe there's marriage issues or maybe there's financial debt where there's a looming debt or maybe there's some past debt that you're dealing with and it's distracting right now. So many things in our lives are distracting and although some of those things are really kind of tension-filled and not great, a lot of us are distracted from things that on the surface could be pretty good. A lot of us can be distracted with some of those things just on the good side. A lot of us can be distracted with a job that's going so well that you are consumed with it. And you, your ambition is telling you, I want this promotion, I want to get this raise, I want this position. So I'm going to do whatever it takes just for a season of time. Before you know it, that season has become five, eight, ten years of just pursuing your career. So distracted. Or, or maybe it isn't wanting and not being able to have a child, but maybe it's having a bunch of kids and their schedule consumes every moment of your time. There's sports, and then there's crafts, and then there's instruments, and then there's homework and projects. And before you know it, they're sleeping and you're doing their projects for them. I'm not speaking bitterly from experience. So many good things can distract us. Great relationships can be distracting. You just met your dreamboat. That's all you can do is you're texting, you're posting, and you're sending pictures and videos and just like just everything. Oh, it's a good thing. But it'd be consuming in our thoughts. Maybe, maybe another thing, maybe, maybe that's not you. I've struggled with that, but maybe, maybe for you it's in current distractions. Maybe it's past experiences. Uh, I had never really had a problem uh, on an airplane before. Loved planes, loved to travel, didn't get to do a ton, but loved it. And um, I'm just going to, can I just be vulnerable for a moment? One of my favorite things on any flight is the snack cart. <laughs> there is just something about knowing that that snack cart is coming. And just the mystery of it all, what are they bringing? I'm sitting in the lobby before we even get in the airplane, and I'm just telling Molly, what do you think they're going to have? And then you get on the airplane, I'm just buckling my seat, I'm following the instructions, I'm like, okay, get it over, yes, safety, safety, masks, those masks aren't there for you, by the way, to make sure you get oxygen, they're there to like muffle your screams in case something happens, okay, but, you know, so the masks, the exits, I don't know what those are for, what are you just going to walk out the exit, I don't know, like, so, so all those things, I'm just get that stuff out of the way, I just need my snack. That's all I'm concerned about. 
And so we're on this flight, and we lived in Florida, and a, this hurricane had blown through Florida, and it was kind of dissipating throughout the rest of the, of the United States. And it kind of turned into just like the remnants, like just some tropical storm, and then just like bad weather by the time it got up north. And so we were traveling on the tail end of it, and um, for whatever reason, you just hear the captain speaking. I saw everybody get up in the island here. Uh, we're going to experience uh, some turbulence, so please make sure you fasten your seatbelts. It's fine. Like that, okay? First of all, when the captain says, it's fine, I don't know that that's true anymore. <laughs> so I'm like, no problem. Got my seatbelt. We're all good. Snacks are coming. And there's my, my wife taught me a trick, you know? So when they say, would you, like, would you like a drink? I say a Coke. And my wife one time blew, I mean, literally, mind blown. She goes, can I have the whole can? She was like, sure. And I was like, So I'm waiting for the most important moment of this plane flight is the snack time. I see the cart coming. The announcement comes over. Please fasten your seatbelts. And when that happens, I don't know why, but just behind me, we're all the way at the back of the plane, just behind me at the last row, a lady goes, hmm, fasten my seatbelts. I don't, I don't want to fasten my seatbelts. I'm going to fasten it. Who is he to tell me to fasten my seatbelts? You, you know what, Captain? You fasten your seatbelt. That's all I hear going on behind me. <laughs> I don't know if there was like a seatbelt incident in her life. I don't know like what, like did one offend her? But all I know is that there was like that sound and I kind of like was chuckling and I look back, I saw a lot of this. And it said, mm -mm, and it said, mm -mm, mm -mm. I was like, wow, that is so aggressive. But that's fine. You know why? Just waiting for my snacks. So as we come, we're flying, we're looking. She's kind of quieted down a little bit. And all of a sudden, I feel, <laughs> I was like, ooh, that felt weird. And then it was like, mm, uh, mm, <laughs> and the airplane's just doing this thing, and my stomach is like, bom, bom, bom. you know, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm feeling feelings that I've never felt on an airplane before. I'm like, it's okay, we're good, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> right? <laughs> At that moment, I'm thinking, I'm gonna hold on to the seats, right? So now, I don't know why, but this made me feel safer. There's something to grip onto. Then, it happened. She's about maybe three quarters of the way, maybe about five seats away from me. I can literally taste the peanuts. And in one moment, the plane drops so far, so fast. I normally exaggerate. I'm not going to. And many, everything, including the cart, flies up and touches the top of the airplane. All of the drinks in like Inception style matrix. <laughs> just go like this into the air. Okay. Cart. Boom. Person pushing the cart. Boom. Drinks. Everyone's Cokes. Everything. Just boom. Everyone screams. I mean, it is all slow motion. It's like, and everything flies and hits the ceiling, and it comes back down. We kind of hit 
something in the air, science, whatever, okay? So we hit back down, all right? And we're back, we're back to normal. There's gravity and stuff, and we're back to normal. Drinks are everywhere. The cart is sideways. The person pushing the cart, kind of under the cart, okay? And what you don't know about these carts is they're like 300 pounds. They are serious. They're important. They're carrying our snacks, okay? <laughs> so this cart's on the ground. She's hurt her ankle. I am freaked out now. So... All of this is bad. I'm not feeling good now. There's turbulence away. But the, the thing about this, all of this, is that <laughs> I am so sorry because I'm laughing at this. But the lady behind me <laughs> hit the top so hard that she dented the little metal in the top. And she like had like blood trickling down right here, right there. And everybody's like, ah! She's like, ah. And I'm like, ah! Where's my snacks? <laughs> In all honesty, though, I was never the same. To this day, I have a routine when I get on an airplane. I, like, have my Bible with me. I don't know why. I'm like, Lord, get me through this. Mm. I grip onto things. There is a process for the way I put the seatbelt on now. Okay, so I put it on normal, and then I really suck it in and put it on. <laughs> And then whoever's here, even if it's a stranger, I say, hey, can you just pull on this a little bit? Because there's something about that. My, my faith, because of that experience, was ruined for airplanes like forever. I'm just now finally to get comfortable a little bit more on a plane. But I don't think that's unlike many of the experiences that we have in our lives ourselves. I think something happens in our lives that really wrecks a moment and hurts our faith. Something that we used to feel and, and fine about and have our faith in, we no longer do. And, and things, things happen in our past that cause our faith to fail in the present. All of a sudden, we're faced with situations and, and we don't know how to handle it anymore because where we used to have faith, things have happened and now we struggle. And even though it happened back then, things happen now, and we're triggered back into that moment. And I want to clear something up, because I think that oftentimes, and, and if you identify as a Christian, then you know that, of course, we have a very real enemy. And this enemy in Scripture is described as, as a lion prowling seeking one whom it may devour, steal, kill, destroy. Those are the words described for this enemy. And I think immediately when we think about things that have happened in the past, we immediately associate, oh, that was just the enemy. That was just Satan trying to do something. Oh, I can remember when the enemy was attacking like this in my life. And I thought, man, maybe, maybe uh, as, I, as I think about those things, I think about, well, what about this happened? We had this relationship issue happen or this breakup or maybe very hard situations have happened in our lives. You, you, you might have been, if you're anything like our family, lots of health issues have come up where you have had to deal with things in the way of health. Maybe there are things that maybe health issues that maybe didn't even do well for a long season. You've come out of it, but it was like, whoa, that was a really tough health issue. Maybe it was a really tough financial issue 
where you just couldn't pay for things for so long and you're just going from paycheck to paycheck and you're just handing it to someone else and you're like, how do I get out of this rut? Maybe it was just this long relationship that is make up, break up, make up, break up. Man, there's so much drama. I'm so, I have so much baggage from this relationship. I don't know. But we can look back at these hard situations, whatever it might be for you. And I would ask you this question. What, what if it wasn't Satan? What if it wasn't the enemy placing this, these storms in our life? First of all, I would say sometimes we cause our own storms. That's just the truth. I know that for me. There are times in my life that I can look back and go, do you know that really hard season? It was completely avoidable. If I would have just sought counsel, not been stubborn, not been prideful. But, but, but what, if, what if it wasn't Satan and it, and it wasn't me that caused the storm in my life in the past? Let's just, let's just jump to, to Mark uh, 6.45. Immediately, it says this. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. Jesus knew what was going to happen. At first glance, you're like, "Woo! just get these dudes away from me for a little while. They do some stupid stuff. <laughs> I just need some room. But nothing's coincidental. Nothing's accidental, especially when it comes to Jesus. So Jesus makes them get onto this boat. And here's the description of what it says later in Mark. It says, he saw the, this, the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Jesus knew that they were going to have a hard time on this water. He knew that. Yet he made them get on the boat. Man, so is it possible that Jesus would like know but still make us? Here's what I would say about that. I'd say just because it was hard doesn't mean it wasn't God. God allows us to walk through things in our lives to grow us, to teach us. Because he also knows that there are some other things that he needs to prepare us for. And it's often the very thing that caused our faith to stumble in the first place that is the very thing that God wanted us to go through in order for our strength, for our faith to be strengthened. Because he knew what's coming. And what's interesting is, in this story, they see him, they're terrified, and then they cry out. I mean, Peter cries out. Is it possible that maybe at some point in our lives we're supposed to cry out? Is it possible that some people in this room right now are going through a storm that, that maybe God is teaching you to rely on him and he's waiting you know, in some, some examples of the story throughout the Gospels, it says that Jesus was walking, intending to pass them by. Jesus was just going to kind of stroll on over. And they cried out. And because of that, he stopped and he turned. Maybe God's teaching some of us to cry out, because I know I struggle with that. I want to fix my own problems. I'll take care of it. I've got a plan. My wife used to get sick of me saying, all I have to do is... 
She's like, if I hear that again, I will stab you. All I have to do is grab this knife. Is it current distraction? Is it past experience? Maybe it's future worries. It says in Matthew, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. And he said, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? You of little faith. You guys say it, you of little faith. And at first glance, it seems like an insult. Right? It's like Jesus. I don't know why I imagine a very dry humor Jesus, you know, sometimes. And so it's like, mm mm mm, you have little faith, right? You know, just come up here, dummy, and sticks him on the boat, right? And so that's kind of the thought that I get with Jesus often. But if we look at Mark 6 6, it's a different story where Jesus goes back to his hometown and he sees all his hometown friends and his hometown peeps and his, his family, his second cousin, Jerome, whatever, right? Like he just, he's got this whole family thing going on his hometown and he's he's coming in and and scripture says that he's coming in to do pretty awesome things and he said that he can't I'm sorry Jesus can't and it describes it this way it describes it this way it says that he essentially was amazed and here's what he was amazed by he was amazed by their lack of faith so everybody say lack of faith everybody say lack of all right, so we have little faith and lack of faith. Those are two completely different words. I'm going to sound like a geek, okay, in the Greek, right? So, so the, the, the little faith and lack of faith. Lack of faith means complete disbelief. They completely, it says that he, all, he, all he could do was lay hands on a few and, and, and heal them. There was a lack, a complete disbelief. What do you mean? Who's our savior? He's here? Who is he? No, that's Joseph's boy, Jesus. I know that dude. Total unbelief. Little faith actually is less about the quality. It's not like a little, like a quality little. It's not the, it's not the quantity. It's very strong or weak little. It's actually the word more of a duration of faith. And so, so it's, I guess let me say it this way. This is essentially explaining this, that it's not the seasons of faith, but it's the moments of faith. And many of us don't struggle, maybe some of us do, but many of us don't struggle with long seasons of faithlessness. And that might be true for some of us. Listen, I've had a long season of faithlessness in my story and in my, my faith journey. But more, more times in my life, they are moments where I struggle with my faith. And, and for Peter, for Peter, he, wa he walks onto this water, and this moment was when he looks away and he sees the wind and he sees the wave. And, and, and it reminded me that we, that we are one breeze, one wind, one wave away from wavering in our faith. What does that look like in our lives? Well, for some of us, it's a text. You're doing great. You and Jesus are fine. You've got the full confidence in him that you need because he is the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, completely in control of everything. And then you get a text. And you're like, uh-oh, God, this might be a little bit too big for you. In a moment, 
Maybe you've received an email before and you're doing fine, just scrolling through your Gmail and then boom, you click on one. Is my job on the line? Is someone, is someone I love dealing with a health issue? Is there a bad report that all of a sudden makes Jesus not who Jesus is? A moment. I don't think it's seasons as much when he says, he, he's not insulting him. He was like, hey, hey, why'd you doubt that moment? You were doing great. You had such a little faith at that moment. I relate to Peter that way. I think from moment to moment, I'm either like Captain Christian cowering in the corner wondering if God can come through and oftentimes the way that God comes through or doesn't come through let's not allow that to define who God is because he because he might be allowing something to be hard to grow you or to teach you or even get you prepared for what is going to happen in the future and for some of us, it's not an email, it's not a text. For some of us, it's a thought. For some of us, our thought lives are consumed with worry and anxiety and anxiousness. And we've already struggled through these horrible situations that haven't even happened yet and may never happen. Those are three ways that, that I see and have seen my faith fail. I'm sure it's not an exhaustive list, but I just wanted to be vulnerable with you. And maybe, maybe you can relate with me in some of those ways. Because when I look at Peter, I look at somebody that I can be like, but not necessarily the guy who steps out in the boat, but the guy who looks away and sees a wind and sees a wave. And from moment to moment, I can be the guy who jumps out in the boat, but I can also be the guy sinking down, crying out, please help me. And oftentimes it's because I'm distracted or because of my past experiences that remind me that maybe God won't do it this way this time. Or maybe it's just I'm worrying about something that hasn't even happened yet or may not happen. And, and I think that that's not the point of this story anyway. And I wanted to share and be vulnerable with you. But I do want to say that I don't think this story is about us being perfect in our faith. Perfect faith. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. I don't live in that world. I live in a world where I'm pretty broken, where I'm pretty sinful, where I fail all the time. I fail my wife, I fail my kids, I fail my family, I fail my church, I fail myself, I fail my God. And here's the thing, um, I think Peter figures that out. In fact, when he's older, he's a little bit wiser, he's helping to lead the charge of this church. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospel of Mark. Mark writes it, but he's really just transcribing what Peter is telling him. So you can see Mark at a desk, he's like, okay, okay. And Peter's walking around, he's like, yeah, man, and then Jesus did this. And man, we had this fish and this bread. And man, before you know it, everybody was cranky and hangry, and boom, Jesus feeding everybody was awesome. 
And he's like, okay, okay, hangry, got it, good. And, and then he's just talking about how God, did this, uh, Jesus did this and Jesus did that. And then he begins to tell this story in the Gospel of Mark. Here's Peter telling Mark about the time that Peter walked on water. No. It's about the time that Jesus walked on water. In fact, in, in Peter's actual account, a small detail is missing there. Peter walking on water at all. You see, when I look at that, one might say, well, maybe it's because he, like, he chickened out and he was sinking. He was like, no, nah, man, keep that out. We're good. I don't think so. I don't think we see Peter's character that way in Scripture. I think, I think what Peter figured out is this, and, and I think that if we don't understand this, then we have missed every bit of the point of this story. I think Peter figured out that the story was never meant to demonstrate the weakness of Peter's faith, but the greatness of God's grace. I think he realized that it wasn't about him walking on water or it wasn't even about his faith being strong at one time and then it being weak. No, it was about Jesus. It was about God and his grace. That he will meet us wherever we are, whether we're walking on water or whether we're sinking, Jesus is there for us. And there is nothing that you have done in this room there's nothing that you have done in this world that, that God would not quickly forgive you of. The Bible says that Jesus, if you confess your sins, that Jesus is faithful to forgive you and cleanse you. He separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. And some of you, this might even be your first time walking into this place and you're just hearing about this faith. And I'm telling you, hey, don't worry about your faith. Worry about God's grace. And maybe you're saying to me right now, I've never experienced this grace before. What I've experienced is guilt and shame. I know a lot about that. Well, you know what I do too. But I've been on the other side to experience the grace and the forgiveness and mercy that comes from it. Peter figured out it wasn't about him and it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about a loving, gracious God. And it's not about not failing or faltering or falling. It's about when you do fall, being close enough to Jesus that you can reach out your hand and he can scoop you up. So I'm going to pray for you. Close your eyes real fast. But I'm going to pray for two groups of people. One, one group of people in this room, you're, you're, you have struggled, or maybe right now you are literally in the midst of a storm that you're struggling with. And I want to encourage you that you have a God that loves you and he's there with you. He's there with you in the midst of that storm. And that is simply you drawing near to him, getting on your knees, praying, have a conversation with God, getting in your word, knowing the truths about him and being able to trust him. And it's not about being perfect. It's about being near. And potentially even crying out. Maybe for some of you, you're not in a storm right now, but you've been in some storms. And maybe you need to reevaluate some of those storms. 
Maybe you need to look, go, re, go look at that story, maybe rewrite that story and go, I know why God allowed me to go through that. But for some of you in this room, you've never had an encounter with God's grace because you don't have a relationship with him. And the Bible says that it is a free gift. You simply have to reach out and, and take it. I'm too bad, I'm too far from God, Tito. I'm gonna get a little bit closer. Well, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while we're in our darkest places, while we're doing the things that we're ashamed of, he still died for us during that moment. And so I'm gonna challenge you to do what the Bible says. If you want a relationship with Jesus, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that's it. You don't have to walk in that guilt and shame anymore. 